Do you feel there's any sexualization of sales that can be leveraged that would make a female better than a male? Absolutely. Um, Talk to me. The bane of my existence. But when I started in door to door, uh, there were (laughs) barely any women in the industry at all. Uh, I walked into the first sales meeting and it was guys like crushing up Adderall and all kinds of craziness. So, but it was great. I loved it. Very much Wolf of Wall Street vibes, but I was one of the only girls who stuck around for it. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Granite Podcast. I am Rochelle Samaly. I am joined by Rebecca Farrell. Unbelievable conversation that we have today. We're going to talk about Rebecca's 150 days of sobriety, what drove her to realizing she needed to make a change. We're talking about how sales positions, mostly people that are high functioning with some maybe drug dependency. We're talking about the sexualization of sales, the losses, and the importance of failure. What's it mean to be a spectator on your own life? And we're going to do a little self-check in there with you guys as well. Knowing what you need to do for your mental health, but not being able to do it, where do you turn? And most importantly, how do you know when you can trust someone? How do you know when you can really be vulnerable and go all in with somebody? You guys, amazing conversation with Rebecca. On the YouTube, the entire linked episode will be posted. But for right now, you guys are going to get part one here, part two over there. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube, leave us a thumbs up, or give us a five-star rating and review on Apple. Spotify, share us with your friends. Get ready. I'll see you inside. Are you more nervous for this or the time we met up for our first date? Oh, honestly, I feel like I wasn't nervous for that, but I just think that's because of the abundance of alcohol involved and espresso martinis, to be honest. Justin had never had an espresso martini, guys, and... um. Yeah, it was a really pivotal moment for him, I think. Honestly, I will say, I think that's when everything took a turn. Um, you were kind of quiet. I walked in. You had little glasses on. You were like, oh, hey, it's just a Haley. You might not know who I am. Now he has this podcast. He has a team. He's really just flourishing. So I think that was honestly where it all took a turn. And I think that's what we'll talk about today, just kind of how it was a pivotal moment in your life. I think we should give them a play-by-play sure, of our first date. I absolutely think we should. And how we met as well. I think that's notable <laughs> for the uh, the viewers in the audience. They're probably thinking to themselves, why is this beautiful goddess on Justin's <laughs> sofa right now? So let's so, do it. I wonder if people, they, right now I think they think we're kidding. We actually have a romantic history. A little bit of wine, We yeah. actually went on a first date, mm. <laughs> a second, third, fourth. Several. Fifth. Breakfast. We went, yeah, breakfast we even. Yeah. yeah, honestly. It's really like wholesome, wholesome stuff. Like, we went to a breakfast, had coffee even. Oh God, we did go to breakfast. Mm-hmm. We went to Counter Cafe. We did. Good memory. Yeah. Wow. See, guys, I told you. It's important uh, to him. Pivotal uh, moment. Uh, um, there's a lot of breakfast dates I don't remember, but I remember yours. It's important to know. Absolutely fascinating. So we met at Perry's. Mm-hmm. Correct. Can I tell you something? That's my first date spot. That was your first date ever. That was my first. No, that was my first oh, date spot. Right. Okay, that's where I took. You know how like Drake's like, well, you got to fight with me. A, a cheesecake, cheesecake mm-hmm. you know, I, I like let it go. I can't take you. Yeah, Paris was like my. That was like my cheesecake factory. Really, but I will say, mm-hmm. I will say, you were the last first date that I had there. Did you ever get in any fights at Paris, like Drake? No, let's go back tonight. Okay, and fight and fight. Yeah, I like. Um, it. We'll have like three or four espresso martinis. It won't take that many. Probably just one. I'm sure something will come up. Yeah. You're still sober? No. Talk to me about this. Well, Last time we... I was in Dallas, you denied an espresso martini. Should we finish that story? We'll come back to it. Okay. Why aren't you sober anymore? What happened? Well, Justin, um, I, on a more serious note, I took a 150-day, very specific hiatus from anything. Um, alcohol, any form of drugs, and... Reason being, I think it's important to remember who you are without it, you know, and I think when you live in a party city like Austin or even Corpus Christi, where I'm from, which is insane, um, you can very much get lost in the sauce. And so I was very much. um, And I would go out and every single time I would just drink so much that I wouldn't even enjoy the time I had, remember the time I had. Or, you know, you know, I'd be out of commission for two, three days after, obviously, you know, we're 30 now. So that's kind of how it goes. So I felt like it was time, just kind of mind over matter, just cold turkey one day, woke up, looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, wow, that's gross. 
<laughs> that is disgusting. Um, you know, it's not who you are. It's not who you want to be. And if you have the aspirations that you do, this cannot continue to the capacity that it is. You know, who's going to want to work for this person? I wouldn't. So I just quit everything. Um, everyone asked me, when are you going to stop? How long are you going to be sober? But I feel like going into anything with an end goal or end date in sight is setting you up for failure. You know, if you're like, I'm just going to diet till this date or I'm just going to be sober till this date, you're not really that serious. So, um, yeah, I had no Never end thought date. of it like that. I, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. That's a large thing in like the fitness community. It's like, I'm going to diet till then. And then you just see these people like attain a lean physique and yeah. they just binge it out. Exactly. Yeah. They just binge it away. And now the only way to fix it is by dieting. Exactly. Again. Like crash diets too, probably like, oh, sweating for the wedding or whatever. But then what next? You know, you're just going to let yourself go when you're married. That sucks. So <laughs> probably don't. Um, so yeah, one night I was actually in Austin. It was my 150th day on the dot and it was my friend's birthday. And I thought to myself and I just felt ready. You know, I knew that I could drink in moderation. I knew that it wasn't something that would spiral out of control. So I did. And sure enough, I had two drinks and went home and it just kind of was a mental reset that I needed. And just being able to know that I'm able to do that and capable of going out without drinking excessively is great. So you feel like you're in much better control now when you do partake in drinking. A hundred percent. I think my threshold was, you know, that of a 500 pound male. So yeah. I think it was yeah. definitely necessary. I definitely remember you being yeah. able to, to put away some alcohol. Yeah. Some is taking it lightly. So yeah. I think it was for the best for sure. I think for my mental state, physical state, and honestly, my business skyrocketed. It just took off. Um, so, so that was that's great. what I was impressed by is you are a rather high functioning alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most people in sales are, if we're being honest. You oh, know, really? But, oh, that's yeah. a common thing. So mm -hmm. I, I train a few individuals who are salesmen or saleswomen. There's a lot of dinners, a lot of yeah. golf outings, a lot of things where like, why why do you think people just celebrate over alcohol so endlessly and relentlessly? Because Rebecca, to me, it almost feels like you're escaping who and what you are and you're trying to kind of enter this realm of alcohol-infused character or personality that's yeah. bigger than you are. You know, one of my things I always say is, money, alcohol, and steroids. They're not going to change you. They're going to exacerbate the things right. that you already are. Right. Why do you think we celebrate around alcohol so much? You know, as a society, I see one perspective. On, on, on the sales end, I see another. So I think that with sales, it's just like what you said, it's more of an escape. You know, sales is so stressful. I mean, you have these quotas to meet. You, on a day-to-day -day basis, are having people scream at you, and they're not happy to see you most of the time. Okay. If you're like me and running a sales team, there's a lot of stress that just compounds. So I think, one, it's an escape for a lot of people in sales and other careers you know, alike. But I also think, yeah, it brings out a more grandiose version of yourself that you might not show otherwise. You know, I think if you have a sales presentation or if you're around people that you're trying to sell or around your team and you want to present yourself as a version that you might be too scared to otherwise, that's the way to do it. You know, or if you have social anxiety, which, you know, obviously that's a catch-22 if you're in sales with social anxiety. So how do you deal with that? Substances, right? Whether it's alcohol or Adderall or a number of things, but the people that I know who are phenomenal salespeople, I would say nine out of 10 have some sort of substance. Abuse. De dependency. I don't know about abuse because I don't know. Abuse that is an intense word. Yeah, I would say a dependency for sure. You know, I think if there was a day where they had it versus when they didn't, and myself included in the past, you know, I think you would see a definite change in the, the sales numbers and also, you know, the way they present themselves in the sales setting. So my question for you, there's all of this stress that comes with this sales territory. The upside is obviously you can make an abundance of money and it's awesome to see you doing well financially. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very well deserved. I know you've attacked it so hard. Thank you. I'm exhausted, but yes. <laughs> what else? What's the other upside? The other upside aside from money is being able to duplicate your success a million percent. Within your team. Within my family, within, gosh, a lot you of- You hired your cousin. Yeah, I did. So 
To expand upon the question, I guess, first and foremost, the coolest thing that I've ever done within this job, making money is great, and I'm doing better than I, I don't want to say better than I ever thought I would because I always knew I would be successful. Yeah. Delusional optimism, right? Yeah, we have but, that in common. Exactly. But the ability to pass that on. So like you said, recently I onboarded and hired my cousin. She's a mother of three went through a pretty bad breakup and was left with basically nothing. Um, you know, without going into too much detail, this person that she was with really took a massive toll financially on her life and that directly affects her kids. So I'm not particularly close to much of my family, but we actually reconnected through social media. Um, I brought her on to work with me and we have so many things in common. We get along amazingly. And she actually sent me a video uh, I was an emotional wreck, but she was crying, basically just saying, I want to commemorate this moment. I want to remember this is the beginning of my journey here and making money. Her first check was $5,000 in a week. Just nuts. Insane. We were both crying. So it's the most beautiful thing. And I think my personal money aside, I honestly could care less because I know that's going to come regardless. But being able to do things like that, it's something that you can't buy and something where it's like you teach a man to fish, you know, he'll eat for a lifetime type deal. So pretty cool. Delusional optimism. Talk to me a little bit about that. How's your relationship with that? Because now that you've achieved a, a metric of success, mm -hmm. do you feel that any less? than you have previously, or do you feel it's growing? Yeah, absolutely not. Never less. Um, I think now so more than ever. When I was young, I would always tell my parents, I'm going to be rich. And they were like, how? And I was like, well, I don't know, but I will. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you hear a lot of people say that, whether it's Ed Milet, Edwin, our CEO, just every podcast that I've listened to really, and I didn't know this was a common thing with within successful people, um, just completely delusional optimism in that I know I'm going to be successful. I don't know by what means yet, mm -hmm. but I know that I will. So go out and buy, you know, the car that you want. You'll figure out how to pay for it. Get the apartment you want. Having a limiting mindset is the worst possible thing that you could ever, ever do to yourself. I hear people every day, you know, within my job say, oh, well, I can't afford that. I'm going to save money for this or, oh, I can't do this just yet. But why? Mm -hmm. You know, why someone else and not you? Mm -hmm. So I feel like until you put yourself in the same shoes as that billionaire who can afford all of it, you'll never be him. You know, whether it's a little premature and you just kind of touch the dream, like our CEO says, and go to a nice golf course, go to a nice dinner, do things that you can to put yourself in that headspace, you know, you're never going to get there. And chances are, once you do that, you won't revert. You're going to want to stay there so you'll find the means to make it happen. So touching the dream. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. I um, have recently brought the metric of progressive overload, which is like typically used for like weight training, into a realm of all walks and disciples yeah. of life. And there's something to be said in my personal life, and it sounds like you're experiencing this as well. Um, I have a buddy that has a Rolls Royce. Mm -hmm. That's my friend. Why can't I have a Rolls Royce? He, mm -hmm. who I can physically hug every time we are together yeah. and we break bread together, he has a Rolls Royce. I want a Rolls Royce. One of my friends sold his company for $90 million very recently. Yeah. Why can't I sell my company for $90 million? You touch it. You go to it. You go stay in the nice hotel for one night that's a little bit that's way out of your budget, but you can afford it for a night, and you get this grand experience that morphs and shifts you to allow you to see this is possible. People live like this and people spend a week in that same room that you could only afford for a night right now. So now we have this overloading metric of, okay, I don't have to stay at the Marriott. I can stay at Hotel Van Zandt right. in a suite and have this insane experience. And now I want to work harder to achieve that. Obviously, there's levels to this shit. Right. Something that's been so impressive about you, and I promise we're going to get back to the first. <laughs> it's okay. But y'all can tell I'm waiting. So <laughs> impressive with you is uh, my friend Corey puts it. He was on the podcast before this. Mm -hmm. People need a lion to chase. And you have had this lion to chase. You want to have this impact over the people that you bring underneath you, mm -hmm. but you also want to have an abundance of wealth. Absolutely. Do you feel that you are able to ingrain this lion 
and to your team under you? Or do they, do you feel that these people need to come to you with this lie? And they might not know that they need to chase a lie, right. but they come to you with this understanding of, I need to chase something and I'm ready for the hunt. Mm -hmm. I just need someone to tell me what to chase. And then you're telling them to go chase this lion. How does that relationship work? So it's interesting you say that because the best reps that I've ever had, mm -hmm. and this is so common in the industry that I'm in, which I'll get into later more of what that even is, mm -hmm. but um, back against the wall, like burn the ships mentality. And yeah. if somebody comes in saying, oh, can I do this part-time? You know, can I work a few days? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just slap Wait, them immediately. Say? What do you say to them? Get out, Go, like, get out of here. Like, yeah, shoot, fuck, scram. That, like, Bucky's pays 19 an hour. Literally, you know what I go mean? fucking get it. That's yeah. disrespectful. Well, I mean, the thing is, I understand the W-2 mentality, right? I feel like there's... Elaborate. It's an epidemic, mentality. and I think... Well, I will. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's something that is tricky because, for example, my dad's generation, he's terrified of 1099 jobs. You know, they say become a doctor, be a lawyer, have that stability. However, I'm out here making respectfully more than a lot of doctors and lawyers, you know, from knocking doors. So I think someone coming in with that fear of, oh, can I still keep my W-2 and work and have my benefits a few days a week, but do this? I'm like, absolutely not. If you want to be successful in anything at all, you know, you have to burn the ships. And it's like jack of all trades is a master of none. You have to focus on one thing, just put everything you have into it and give yourself no option to fail, right? Like buy the expensive car. You got to make the payments, no option to fail. So I think, um, you know, in this job in particular, what was the question? Sorry. <laughs> I got a little sidetracked. Do they have a lion to chase or do you give them, like, can oh, you teach gotcha. someone to chase a lion or do they have to come to, to you with that? I don't think you can teach someone to chase I it. I really don't. I honestly think it's an intrinsic thing that people have within them. It's like being good at sales. People ask me all the time, do you think you can teach someone to be good at sales or do you think people are just innately good at sales? And it sounds kind of messed up, but I honestly don't think you can actually teach someone to be good at sales. Um, like, like phenomenal at sales. You can teach someone to be a decent salesperson, recite a pitch, tonality, things like that, the sales cycle okay. But to teach someone to be a Jordan Belfort, you can't. You can't do it. They've got to come to you with the killer mentality already. Exactly. Exactly. They have to say, I will do whatever it takes. I will knock a million doors. Just tell me what I have to do. I'll learn the pitch. And the people that I have on my team that are absolute killers came to me like that. They either had failing real estate properties or they were in debt or on the brink of going bankrupt and their back was against the wall. And they said, okay, I can make $700 a deal selling alarms, knocking doors. Let's go. Just tell me where to go. And that's how I came into it also. You know, even coming from medical sales, I was never given money. You know, I paid for my own school. I worked three jobs while I was in college, um, bought all my cars. You know, my dad obviously worked very hard, but as a child of an immigrant, mother, his mother had 12 kids, grew up in, you know, housing projects. I saw that work ethic. And even if he wanted to give me things, I never asked them of him. So knowing how hard I've had to work for everything I have and seeing someone who's not willing to do that as well, maybe not to the same extent, but somewhat, mm -hmm. just get out of my face, honestly, you know. Interesting. I, I, I love this. When you meet somebody, mm -hmm. a potential, what do you call them, coworker? What do you call your team? Um, Just a, a sales rep. You meet a potential sales rep. Mm. What are some qualities that they need to have for you to understand that they know what this takes? So I can tell within two minutes of meeting someone if they'll be successful or not, which again, open to interpretation on a lot of other teams. But for me, it's just the hunger. You can tell. You know, if you've been through some things in your life, you have a little bit of trauma, you can kind of sense that within other people. They say sales is the transfer of energy. And I think if you can sense that energy within even potential reps, you'll be successful and grow a team really fast, which I have. So the way they look at you, eye contact, the way they speak, do they have confidence? You know, do they have a little bit of delusional optimism? You know, do they say, oh, I'm going to come in and sell 50 accounts my first week? Or do they come in and say, oh, well, you know, I want to work part-time. Can I still do my other job? I don't know if I'm willing to travel. I don't even really have a car. I don't know if I can get an iPad. Whereas there's another rep that I had that took out two credit cards for the first sales blitz he went on, you know, rented a car, rented a, you know, Airbnb and made $15,000 in a week. Wow. So it's easy to tell. Um, I think the job's not for everyone, but I do definitely think there's a big differentiating factor between people who are successful and who aren't. And it's just the grit, just having the grit and the willingness to kind of do whatever it takes and 
yeah, that's pretty much it. Sales is a transfer of energy. I like mm-hmm. that quote. You kind of feel that this correlates to a lot of other areas in life, mm-hmm. um, like romanticism is a transfer of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, your 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 social relationships with with individuals are a transfer of yeah. energy. Um, how do you go about transferring energy with someone that is a cold knock on the door? They answer. Their guard is up. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you break them down? You read them. Yeah. You read them immediately. Cause yeah. like when I said, I sit down with the rep and I can tell within two minutes. Yeah. And that's why, again, it's an innate thing that I don't know that you can actually teach. So you knock on the door immediately. I'm scanning the person, their body language. If it's a female, a male, just kind of a quick scan. And from there, I immediately know how to proceed and how to talk to them. We have the pitch memorized. So what I always tell my reps is first you memorize, then you internalize, then you personalize. Right. So once you've been doing it for a while, you have the ability to personalize very quickly based on their home, based on their personality, based on if they're timid or their personality type. So uh, that's pretty much how, you know, I get out the major facts as fast as I can, who I am, why I'm there, what they have, what's wrong with it and how I can help them with that. Mm -hmm. And I say that in one breath. Mm -hmm. So they don't even really have a chance to talk until I'm done talking. And then they know the benefit I can provide. But As far as their energy, that's very easy to read. If you're an empath and you have some sales experience and, again, are just kind of intrinsically good at sales, I think. Do you feel there's any sexualization of sales that can be leveraged that would make a female better than a male? Absolutely. Um, Talk to me. the bane of my existence. But when I started in Door to Door, uh, there were (laughs) barely any women in the industry at all. Uh, I walked into the first sales meeting and it was guys like crushing up Adderall and all kinds of craziness. So... But it was great. I loved it. Very much Wolf of Wall Street vibes. But I was one of the only girls who stuck around for it. But Why? Why'd you stick around? Uh, the grittiness. I loved it. Coming from med sales that was very buttoned up to this job where I could literally move up as fast as I want based on my work ethic, as opposed to med sales where you have to wait for someone to die or retire to move up. Um, in this job, it was literally just a race to who can sell the most, who can knock the most doors, who can work the longest hours. And it was going to be me, obviously. I was knocking in the rain, mm-hmm. didn't care, in the cold with no jacket, so they'd feel bad for me. <laughs> oh my but, gosh, you yeah. told me about mm-hmm. that before. Didn't, not, it didn't matter. Nothing yeah. mattered. It was burn your ships, you know? So no chance but to be successful. And I knew I would be. I'd yeah. seen it done. I saw the blueprint and I was like, if I follow this, I'll be good. So Back to the hypersexualization, though, because I feel like that's definitely a thing. Um, I, being one of the only girls, uh, but also being really great at sales, I was very successful very quick. And when that happens, people who are more seasoned might not like that. And of course, would like to come up with a scapegoat as to why um, that might be the case. So I heard all the time, oh, she's flirting with customers. She's only successful because she's a girl or how she dresses. Mind you, I was wearing like puffer vests. Yeah. Like I was in no way, you know. But do I think there's girls in the industry respectfully who do that? Sure, I do. But I can't see you flirting with a customer. Absolutely never. If I don't like you and I'm not comfortable, I will leave. No amount of money is worth it to me to make a quick commission to degrade myself or my self-worth ever. And every girl on my team knows that, you know, some other teams and other companies kind of will lean more into that, but absolutely never. You know, if there have been a few girls on my team in the past that were saying, do you ever flirt with a customer to get a deal? Do you ever? Absolutely never. Like if you're going to be like that and if that's how you have to sell, you're not a salesperson. Mm-hmm. You know, you are just simply not good at sales. If you have to be deceitful or flirty or whatever it is, you're just not good at your job. How often do men try to cross that line with you? Um, well, I'm pretty mean, Justin, so yeah, I wouldn't say often. Yeah. But you go into their homes. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, going into someone's home isn't an open invite for them to be inappropriate, yeah. you know? But I'm there to happen? upgrade their security system. It's not like eHarmony. Yeah. Do I? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not showing up as like a mail order bride. You know what I mean? Like, I'm here to upgrade your security. <laughs> so. Have you been in positions where someone made you feel comfortable when you got inside their home? Um, you know, the thing is, growing up where I did, which was a Good. little bit of, Yeah, to be completely <laughs> honest, you wouldn't know by looking at me, but absolutely, 361. Um, I'm not scared of a lot. Yeah. I'm really not. You know, a lot of things can happen, and I have absolutely no reaction, which is, I think, another reason why I'm good at door-to-door. Mm-hmm. But there was one time that was absolutely terrifying. Um, Let's hear. Not because he was... A cre- well, so I knock on this door. I'm training a girl. 
Um, of course, one of the first girls I was ever training, and I was like, nothing bad happens. It's great here. Like, what could possibly go wrong? We knock a door. Guy opens. Kind of lovely bones vibes. I was like, this is daunting. But we go inside. There's no furniture, just clowns. clowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just clowns? Yeah, like clowns he had fabricated himself. So he was an art teacher, I guess. Okay. But there was no sofa, just a white folding chair. And paper mache like a batman clown a spider-man clown a beyonce clown it was something so anyway i kept signing him up i was like this man's getting an alarm i don't care i sit on the little folding chair um this girl's terrified but he failed the credit check so i didn't get to sign him up no however i was and he kind of like locked the door behind us when we walked in but again just keeping a straight face because i feel like in situations like that they want to see a reaction or fear and if you don't, they're not going to do anything. Good point. You know? So people pick up on fear very easily. Transfer of energy. Yeah, um, that's a common mm, tip that I find myself giving yeah. when any female hits me up. Like I'm moving all side downtown Austin, like yada yada. <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about the homeless situation. And I'm like, don't let them think you're scared. Exactly. Like, I've never had an issue. I've had one issue ever. With you're like a massive man, though. But yes. If I were a homeless man, I might be a little. They don't want to look at you. Yeah, but they're they're so they're so out of their minds. They're they're so insane. Maybe may, maybe they have enough cognizance awareness. Maybe, but I feel like if they're going to target someone, it might be like a little like nugget of a girl and not a massive <laughs> not like you know pro bodybuilder. Body yeah. yeah. So let me ask you: You have this job as this leader of so many people. That is an insanely strong masculine energy that you have. Yet. Like, to me, I've always viewed you as so overly feminine. Yeah. How's the dating scene out there for you with guys that are intimidated by you? Um. So the thing is, if they were intimidated, I don't think they would say that. Yeah. You know, I don't think... I, I think it may have happened a time or two. And I actually saw a really interesting TikTok the other day where they kind of mentioned this. And they were saying guys will go on Instagram and look at a girl's page and see if they can afford her lifestyle. That's hilarious. And if they can't, they just dip out. And there was one guy saying he bookmarked a girl's Instagram to come back in a few years to see if she was still successful and just kind of like follow up. Yeah. But I think it's prevalent. I don't think they would admit to it. But for me, I think it's tricky yeah. because for I have more of a traditional mindset when it comes to dating. I think the man should still be the provider. I'm never going to stop working ever. That's just a fact. But if he can't either be equal to or exceed what I'm doing, then I don't really see a point, not even from a monetary perspective, but mentally Work too. output. Yeah, yeah cool. well, that okay. too. Like, if I'm working 20-hour days, which I do a lot. Yeah, you do. And he's sitting there playing Call of Duty or just no aspirations working in a cubicle, I'm going to get a little bit of resentment, right? Like, why don't you want more, you know? Rebecca, if you dated someone that played video games, it wouldn't work out well, very that's Exactly, well. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they wouldn't have a chance. If yeah. you play video games, do not slide in Rebecca's Please, games. for the love of God, see yourself out. Like, I know you're out there, the ones who've been trying since 2016. Just please get Talking out of there. Talking to themselves. Get out I of there. I love your close friends on Instagram. It's, it's time to move on, guys. Absolutely. Pack it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta move into someone else's home i know that you just waited on me uh yeah. you know from a dating sense and that's for okay sure. like i understand i'm 30 yeah i probably have another like three or four years three to so, four years yeah, it's austin just, i mean yeah. there's people out there on the lake at 40 with, you know yeah no you're right with some 20 year old girls that might be me you could pull it off you know who knows i think, you could. I, think I think my goal is i'm gonna be like 50 okay and you know i'll, I'll date like 22 23 year olds at, at 50 but do you, you know, know what i see for it's you fair game until then what do you see from me? are you a tarot card reader no, I don't have to be. Oh, okay. um, yes, but this is, I mean, transfer of energy. Like, this yeah. is the vibe I'm picking up. Oh, so, okay. I'm very enthralled with yeah, this. Thank you. So what I foresee for you is ultimately um, Playboy Mansion, but make it fitness, ah, you know? Yeah. Like, Ronnie yeah. Coleman could be wandering the halls. Yeah. I don't know. Arnold, perhaps, if yeah. he's still kicking. Yeah. And it's you and just a bunch of girls who are super fit. Yeah. You're super old, but you're still out there. You're still doing your thing. Do I still look good? You look all right, but that doesn't really matter. You I got know, the beard? You could. Yeah. I think that's like your trademark. I don't think you can get rid of it. They no, might I not agree. recognize you without it. They I might agree. freak out and think there's an intruder. So I think um, that's what I see, okay. honestly. Are you going like, to come kick it? Are you going to come kick it at the I'll mansion? By. The muscle yeah, mansion? Sure. The, the muscle, muscle man mommy mansion. Wait, Justin, trademark that now. You guys write that down. Muscle mommy mansion. It'll yeah. be trademarked by the time this episode comes out. You would have to. Someone's going to take it. I love it. So- 
today there's an interesting transfer of energy going on where women seem to be leaning into their masculine far greater than at any point before. I've chatted about this on Instagram by the time this drops a few times. Women are in more powerful positions, such as yourself. Women are much more confident now than they've ever been before. Women are also protecting themselves from men because women now more than ever are more cognizantly aware of uh, most women want monogamy. Mm-hmm. Majority of men will say that they want monogamy. I forget what the correct term is for it, but there, there's also this interesting conundrum. I don't want to get on this whole yeah, side yeah. piece right now, but there's this super interesting conundrum going on now that next year is an election year Yeah, of like men as women our age are much more liberal than they are conservative at a right. much higher clip than ever before. So men to get with a woman mm. will identify as like being liberal when they're actually not liberal mm. because that's a that's an admirable trait for a lot of women yeah. is that he has the same political beliefs as me. Sure. So like, oh, you know, like um he's for the feminism movement as well. So like he's right. good. So I'm gonna sleep with him. Like the thing that oh, the, the places yeah. that men go imagine that to achieve sex, but it's happening. And in Austin it's funny because like there it is a rather liberal city. Sure. Um Back on the point of the mass energy, men are less masculine than ever before. A lot of the masculinity has kind of been stripped down to bare minimum, you would say, because they're trying to appear more vulnerable than ever. But now they're, they don't even know how to go up and talk to a woman because masculine energy is not deemed as a safe energy, yet men carry that. Mm. Whereas women are trying to pull their masculine energy up to protect themselves from the outside, whereas the feminine energy is kind of the more comfortable energy. And there's this huge conundrum shift going on. You are an outlier as a female, I think because you're so in tune with your masculine energy and super in tune with your feminine energy as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you're easy to approach. For You think so? Really? I would think you are. Thanks. All right. I would feel very confident. I don't get that a lot. I, hear I think a, you're so, easy, you're I, so friendly. Thanks. Thank you. I think yeah. so, too. I get a lot that I'm not and intimidating and look kind of mean, which I can be. Don't get me but wrong. Has but has anyone that you're ever interested in actually said that to you? Yeah. Really? They said they were terrified at first. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would never admit yeah. that to a woman. Even first, if I was, I would n- but never admit that. But there's men being feminine, right? It is. So It is. But yeah. So it's a man's job. Would you agree? If we're discussing gender roles, it's a man's job to make a woman feel safe, comfortable. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. In my opinion, I think it's something that's been lost along the way. I don't know where, but opening a door, you know, setting plans, saying, hey, we're going to dinner at this time, at this place. Yeah. You would be flabbergasted yeah. by the amount of men, right, that hit you up, DM you, text you and say, hey, do you want to hang out? No plan, no date, not are you free at this date, this time, it's a train wreck. Fascinating. Yeah, which I I feel typically would be more so the way a woman would speak, say, hey, do you maybe want to do this? And the man would plan it. But um, actually recently I was talking to a friend of mine about this because I know several other women in the industry and they're moving in with men or maybe in a relationship and they split everything. They split the bills. They split. It's it's nuts. Yeah. So personally, no matter how much money I make, I feel, and this might be controversial, but I feel that a man should still want to do that. You know, if you as a man are going to ask me to split a sofa with you, yeah. I, I, I can't. Yeah. Like if I could afford it, you know, I understand. But at the same time, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's the mentality behind it. Yeah. A man's supposed to be a provider, and that's a gender role that you pull close to heart. And that's perfectly understandable. Right. And that allows you to be more feminine, right? Obviously, them stepping into their masculinity. But if not, you kind of have to step into that masculine role, which, well, I guess you don't have to, but you're forced to. I like that. That's an interesting concept. Um, Over the years, I guess there's been a lot of things I've experimented with. You know what I like? I don't like 50-50 in terms of, okay, you know, this dinner was $150, so I'm 75, you're 75. What I appreciate. I would projectile vomit on site. Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I would as well. Literally. What I appreciate is twofold. Okay, I bought the $150 dinner. We get coffee tomorrow morning. 
Like, I like the gesture of having a coffee picked up for me. Right. So it's not like 150 equals 150. It's like gesture equals gesture. 100% right? agreed. Yeah. Um, something that I really enjoy, and I there's there's only one woman that I know has ever done it with me, and she's a podcast, she'll be smiling right now. But like, she'll, she'll toss that card in sometimes. Wow, there you go. And I'm like, you paid for it? Yeah. Like, what? You know, it's like here and there. It's yeah. like a little, it's like... It's never the big ones. I don't want it to be the big ones. The big sure. ones are me. It's like a small gesture, yeah. 100%. Or if she's, like, she's out picking something up and gets something for you too. Just love a little, that. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. The, I think the 50-50 thing is like, I agree. Like as a man, I would find that a little bit destructive to my masculine energy. Right. Um, men love to be respected mm -hmm. more than anything else. And it's like a sign of respect, like, oh, you got the coffee. Right. Like, that's so nice. Like you were thinking of me. Like yeah. that's a nice gesture. Or like a little active service, you know, yeah. showing that you listen. For example, one of my exes, he paid for everything. However, yeah. when his birthday came, I knew that he was a big Drake fan, right? So I got him a little Drake cake and this like custom Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and just, yeah. So things like that. Of course, I'm not saying I don't ever want to pay for anything. However, yeah. make me want to, right? Have me feel like I'm taking care of. So in turn, I'm going to want to do those things for you, but in a more feminine sense. Yeah. So, so back to our first date. Yes. Meet up at Perry's. Mm -hmm. It was actually, truly, the first time I ever had an espresso martini in my life. I remember. I was shocked, yeah. to say the least. Um, so I told the waitress, I was like, yo, like, we did two espresso martinis, yada, yada. Um, I didn't really know how to order it. She like <laughs> asked, she, she asked me, like, two questions. Like, oh, dude, I really don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what this she wants. You weren't there yet. Of course, I got there first. Of course, you were late. Of course, typically. Um, Little did you know. Yeah, you walk in, and right away, I was like, I'm going to friend zone this girl. And um, we had an amazing time at Perry's. We spent way too much time there. We left. We were like pretty drunk. You remember? We went to Bungalow. I do. And I Bungalow do. doesn't exist anymore. R.I.P. I this do was a Tuesday night? It was definitely a weeknight. I don't know which, but it was absolutely a night where in no way should these events have transpired. <laughs> um, safe to say, but. Tuesday, I, I'm like 90% confident Tuesday night. We go to Bungalow, mm -hmm. and so what? What a super cool thing about Rebecca and I, and like we're still really good friends to yeah. this day. This is a long time ago. We're still really good friends to this day. We've had chemistry from the jump, like from the first time we ever talked. There was like a lot of chemistry. Mm -hmm. So we go to Bungalow. You know, I get us drinks. You're like sitting over on that little couch that they have. Which looking back, those couches were disgusting. Gust. Absolutely gross. People's feet were on them. Yeah. Like it looked like the Chuck E. Cheese little boots. It was just yeah, dope those and were terrible. Like casting yeah. couches. They were disgusting. They very well may have been prior. But I remember we made those friends. I do. That group the guy of who was the dermatologist. The yeah. guy who was in New York. I do. Yep. I still have him on Instagram. Me too. <laughs> Bring him as a guest, please. You're like, you know what? Come on out. In with us. Yeah, imagine. And joining us yeah. now. <laughs> to recount the evening. Yes. Yeah. So, and he's like, how long y'all been together? <laughs> this is our first date. And he's, they were amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You guys act like you've been together. Like, you guys, like, know it. Like, Literally. Yeah. And it, it was kind of funny. So then we started partying with them. Mm -hmm. That's we where it took a turn. We well, go? one of the girls was going through, uh, she's listening for whatever reason. I'm so sorry, but was going through a divorce and she was just in the trenches. And me being the empath I am, I was like, come on, girl, come with us, me and my boyfriend of four years. Like, let's go <laughs> out on the town. You'll get over yes. him. I'll find, I'll be your wingman. Yes. So yeah, we, you know, pick him up, yeah. the dermatologist, the divorcee and the other girl, and we just yeah. hit the town. Yeah. We took like one of those party buses or something over to six, we over to West six, the, the karaoke bus. We got one of those karaoke cars, the electric cars. Justin, hey, I have hey, no recollection. We were. We were that obviously, yes. We were that sounds great, though. We took that over there, over to West 6, and we walked in one of the one of the bars over there. Rio, Pop, one of the grungy-ass Another one of the bar. sticky. Definitely like, Pop. Yeah. A couple of your friends were there, actually, and that's when I realized, sure oh, she. Hi, guys. Yeah. Wow, her last name's Feral, and she's Feral. <laughs> hugs the bouncer the whole nine yards. Yeah. It's like that meme if she goes to the bar and hugs the bouncer, like red it's flag like, immediately. It's over, dude. Yeah, it's like, it is a run away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, more more uh, fun party events transpired on the night. And I think the night ended like 2, 2.30 in the morning. Tuesday. And it was literally on a Tuesday. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely the one. <laughs> <laughs> My mom would be so proud. 
absolutely. <laughs> I know um, he was supposed to train the next day. Or obviously, you do every day. Yeah. And um, just like myself. And this girl who's a friend of yours, I think she's a pro now. Yeah. She's Jack, yeah. literally yeah. amazing physique. Yeah. She sent me a picture yeah. of her yeah. making a face, I think, with you. And she's like, if he ever misses a training session, yeah. you're going to hear about it from me. And yeah. I was like, I want to live. I'm so Ashley. sorry. Yeah. That was Ashley. Yeah. yeah. She's not just a pro. She's an Olympian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. As she should. Yeah. She looked phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. She, 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 she's, uh, she's another level. But uh, I do remember that. Mm -hmm. it, but I got up and trained. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I was very late. Mm -hmm. But I definitely got up and trained. Um, in what moment after that, not that I'm interviewing you, but did you know, hey, I want to take this girl on a breakfast date? When did you know? What was it for you? <laughs> Would love to hear. Well, let's see. We had a few more dates before the breakfast date. By the time we went on, a, you take someone on a breakfast date, you're like kind of exclusive at that point. Right. You're like, you're like, you're like dating that person. I mean, so, listen, like, one may assume. <laughs> So like uh, the the breakfast date came, you know, what, two weeks after, two or three weeks after the-, the Justin the was moving really fast, guys. I honestly told him to pump the brakes. I was a little overwhelmed, but- What happened? That's not- Actually, if, if anything, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I do believe the opposite to be true. We don't need to get into the nuts and bolts or pull back any text yeah. messages that might have been sent back in <laughs> he the said, day. Put them, Jamie, put them on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, no, to this, I've told that story. Yeah. Hundreds of times. For sure. Like all of my friends know that story. Mm -hmm. And to this day, it's definitely the most memorable first date that I've ever had. Um, yeah. I've never uh, partaken in a lot of those activities on a first date with anyone ever before. Right. Um, it's interesting to see us both. I moved on from that party life, though. That's very, yeah, yeah, I was in it too then. But you know what I respect about you and what I tell a lot of people when I do talk about you, which is every single day. Um, every is hour. That, <laughs> every every day. minute. Like I'd have to stop at some point, but <laughs> will I? I don't know. Um, you have the ability to balance them so well, mm. which I always respect because I do not, you know, hence the 150 day sobriety reset. But you would literally go to like a concert, a rave, whatever, wake up, train, go about your whole day, make like $100,000, walk your dog, yeah. go to bed. <laughs> yeah. So I always thought that was extremely admirable because I think that's something too where a lot of men these days don't. Yeah. You know, they're out buying bottles on a credit card and then reporting yeah. it as fraud and just, oh, you know, going oh, no it. way. It's prevalent. No way. That's a thing. I've seen it a lot. Fake yeah. money. Fake money. Yeah. Wow. Like credit card with like a decent limit going out, buying bottles. I have a lot of friends in bottle service that see it nightly. Mm -hmm. And it's the guys where they're always out and you think they have a lot of money and it's how they get girls and stuff. But, you know, they don't really have the ambition or the balance to go out and actually make the money. So it's just kind of, you know. You say that's how they get girls. I find that super sad. Obviously, I see it here in Austin as well. <sighs> Talk about that. So you see this dude at the bar, mm -hmm. at the club. The function. And he's got... He's got 10 G's racked up and whatever he's doing over there. Yeah. What's your relationship with how you view that guy? You, 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 like, it, why, why are women attracted to that? I have never cared. And I yeah. don't want to, you'd be like, oh, I'm so different and not like other girls. I don't care. But even when I didn't have money, that never impressed me. Yeah. Reason being, if you have to outwardly peacock like that, yeah. I feel like you're covering up for either a lack of personality or something else, yeah. right? So I've never been one to be impressed by those things. However, a lot of girls that I know will get on Instagram and they'll see a guy posting, oh, I'm on a boat. I'm on this private jet. I'm doing this and that. And they'll assume he has money and it works. It really works. Yeah, that's so easy to fake, though. Exactly. And that's my mentality, especially being in sales and knowing kind of, you know, tactics that other salesmen will use yeah. to be somewhat deceptive and kind of having an eye for that. You know, I just see it happening so much to where girls fall for that. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's loaded. Let me go on this jet with him or let me go on this trip with him. When in all reality, it's on credit cards or their friend paid for it or what have you. So... My answer to that is I would do absolutely nothing and I would buy my own table if I wanted a table, which I've done. <laughs> I but, definitely know you yeah, have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was um, in Dallas at Greenlight Social on a Sunday. Oh my gosh. And a guy Greenlight tried to- Social. Good old Greenlight, GLS. Oh. Shout out Chris Evans. Wow. But um, 
yeah, this guy invited me to his table and he was just really doing the most. Like, Rebecca, I have a table, this, that. So I just went and bought one. And it was me and my three friends in this section just partying, having the best time. But they were away from us, so I count that as a win. But <laughs> um, yeah, so in a setting here in Austin, seeing that, it's kind of a turnoff, to I be agree. honest. I, I feel like, you know, if you're doing it that outwardly, what else do you have going on in your life, you know? So... Myself and my friends included. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying I'm like this super crazy rich guy. I do right. very well financially. I'm very proud of what's happened financially. None of us ever buy like bottles or tables right. or, or anything. Like even my, my, my most successful, my wealthiest friends never do that. Right. We never wear this flashy stuff out. We're typically real low key. Exactly. Yeah. We're with a group of friends that like, we're really focused on. We're not like looking around, like specking the ops to see like, if there's any girls here that like might be interested. I feel like you're similar to me. Like I can tell if someone's got money or not. For sure. I can tell if you're faking or not. Mm -hmm. And the harder you're pumping, the heart, like the harder you're pumping, the more you're overcompensating for. So yeah. maybe you are rich. That's great. That's phenomenal. But you're still pumping real hard. Like what? You got a small dick? Something. Something like, off. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you don't have a personality. You just got dumped. Like, yeah. like what's the, you have a, a drug addiction, but like I you're mean, masking. Yeah. It could be a number of things, all of the above. Who's to say, but I just know growing up, back to, you know, my life story kind of, yeah. but my grandparents on both sides were immigrants, right? Yeah. And they grew where they, up with- Where did they come in from? Uh, so my mom's side, Poland and Russia, and my dad's side, uh, Reynosa, Mexico. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So seeing that and seeing them work really, really hard and also be humble was really, I think, one of the reasons why I can kind of see through that stuff, you know, but my grandpa started a chain of pawn shops in Corpus Christi, my hometown. That's how he made his money. And he made friends very quickly with a lot of people who were very successful down there because he was so charismatic. Yeah. He didn't always have the most money, but he knew kind of, you know, touching the dream, right? Fake it till you make it, delusional optimism. Yeah. So he ended up becoming friends with Harmon Dobson, the guy who started Whataburger. Yeah. Um, also with uh, the gentleman, uh, his last name was Susser, who started Stripes, mm -hmm. the grocery or convenience stores. Okay. Um, so with that said, they never were flashy. Yeah. They never drove new cars. They never wore Gucci track suits. Never. Never. So growing up, I always saw that too. You know, I saw that they were very humble. They drove old cars too, literally like old like Subarus or whatever. So you like humility? I do. I think there's a time and a place to be flashy. Don't get me wrong. I'm very materialistic. Same. Um, and I'll buy myself whatever I want. Yeah. But you know, I think at the end of the day, there's something to be said for humility as well. I think you can be flashy and like opulence, but still be down to earth. I think that, you know, it's a important balance to have. You don't want to get so lost in it that you forget where you came from or what's actually important. So. I'm going to say a quote. You're going to give me your thoughts. Okay. Toxic mas masculinity does not exist. There's only a lack that is being overcompensated for, or there's an abundance of but there is not toxic. I feel like this plays perfectly into mm -hmm. this whole mass, this grandiosity of this man standing with his chain. Yeah. Green light social Saturday <laughs> at 1 a.m. holding up a bottle like yeah. the bottle service girls are. That's not toxic masculinity. That's a complete absence of masculinity. That's kind of my take on it too, honestly. And I feel like toxic masculinity, if that were a thing, would just kind of be anger or resentment towards women being more masculine. Mm. You know? I feel like women now having to take on that role of being more masculine, one, to protect themselves, two, because men are hyper-feminine. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean feminine in a context of traditional values, right? So they want to stay home. They don't really want to work as much. They want more handouts, things like that. And they have that grass is always greener mentality. So they might be entertaining another woman. So you have to have your security in case they do leave or in case they don't want to work or whatever that might be. So I feel like the toxic masculinity is almost males seeing females start to rise into their own and into more of a traditional masculine role and being upset about that, you know, upset about them having accomplishments that might have traditionally been theirs. Mm. But if they're not working for it and they're not filling that role themselves, how can they be upset at that? Mm. But 
men now, my opinion, mm-hmm. men now more than ever simply want to just be led somewhere, mm-hmm. whereas women historically have been the ones who want to be led. But there's a very, very interesting conundrum happening right now of there's more men that are admitting to playing into the idea of monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. Whereas in our genetic makeup, that isn't necessarily, if, if you look around the world of mammals. Right. Human men are the only ones that are expected to be monogamous, right? By depending on your relationship structure and whatever. Besides at the muscle mansion, yeah. Besides at the muscle <laughs> mommy mansion, yes. Um, this is the only like we push it, we like mm-hmm. force it here. But now, more than ever, more men are looking for that, and they're just saying. I just want a woman who's loyal and who's like down for me and who's like yada, yada, yada. And I feel like a lot of this is the uprise in masculinity in women is the minimizing of masculinity in men. And now they're looking for safety and comfort within a female's masculine energy. Mm. And that is a really difficult conundrum to be in. The other side of this coin is up until now, Men have always, whether they openly admit it or not, that is 100% on them. Right. Men as a whole, not 100-0, but as a whole, have been more interested in multiple partners, right. whereas women are only really interested in like one partner. Most women are only interested in like one partner. And that shift is changing, but again, that's pulling the, a lot of the man genetic mm-hmm. predisposition out of the, the men. So there's other negative things that come with that. I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think about now more than ever, men are looking to be monogamous, and it seems to be because they want that safety and security in a woman's masculine energy. So you think monogamy is a feminine trait, you would say? I don't think science suggests Why? that monogamy is much more a feminine trait. They Women want to provide for a man. They want to provide for a family. They yeah. want to have a child with a man and bear this man's mm-hmm. child that they deem worthy of doing so. Whereas a man inherently, just through our biological makeup, yeah. we're meant to spread our seed and like put ourselves out there right and i guess historically i guess i could say like that's where i've been i don't want to have a bunch of children but you just i like having a lot of Mm -hmm. dating opportunities so i know exactly what it is that i want right i mean i don't know i feel like with social media nowadays though it kind of just wrecked traditional dating i think in the past you would meet your spouse at the bowling alley be like that's the one and then that's a wrap and you have a family of six and that's you call it a day But now it's just, you know, the endless options. You go on a dating app, there's hundreds. You're just swiping through. You know, by the smallest thing, you can pick kind of who you want. So I don't know. I personally don't agree that now men want monogamy. I think maybe they initially might, but then it's as easy as going on an app to where there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of girls you could pick from. And with social media and the way things are set up, the person you're with would never know. So... Maybe that's why men want monogamy now more than ever, though, because women can do the exact same. And women are the gatekeepers to everything that a man wants and desires. I mean, I want to have sex. That's a woman's call. That's not on the man. You want to have a child. That's up to the woman. That's not up to the man. I think they want the security without the monogamy, honestly. I think they want the security of knowing that Ooh. there's a woman there who won't leave them, that's loyal to them, that once they've fallen in love with them, they know they're probably going to be loyal. Um, because I think women more so than anything nowadays want, you know, a family, stability. And you hear how stressed out they are with online dating and just dating as a whole because guys aren't monogamous, you know? They might think something's going really well, but then only to find out, oh, this guy's also been talking to my friend or someone that I know. And the world is so, so small because of social media. It's so easy to find those things out. As easy as like, oh, does he follow her on Instagram? Is he liking her pictures? So I don't know. I think women as a whole want monogamy and men just really have that grass is not as a whole, but, you know, Mm -hmm. have the grass is greener mentality and just endless options. And I truthfully think social media and dating apps are just wrecking traditional dating. And I don't know what it's going to look like for the future. 
I would agree with the sense that it's wrecking traditional dating due to a fact that you can pass a pretty girl in the street and you're safe not saying anything to her because you could just go home and pull up the app Mm -hmm. and you can like find someone who might be equally as attractive and like actually be able to message them or like them or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think it's very interesting you say that men want the security without the monogamy. Yeah. I need to let that simmer in. I need to let that (laughs) marinate for a little bit because that's a very intense statement that I think you might be right about. Psychoanalysis. You might be kind of calling me out a little bit as well. But okay, I'm also a licensed therapist. (laughs) (laughs) It's my job. So how do you gauge the metric of vulnerability? In your life, there's this interesting conundrum Mm -hmm. of you're a leader here of all these people. Mm -hmm. A good leader has to be vulnerable. Like you have to be able to rip your heart out, lay it on the table and be like, look, this is what I'm willing to do. Like, are you willing to match me? Mm. So talk about that as a leader vulnerability. Yet, I also want you to talk about what's the discrepancy between this extremely masculine role Mm -hmm. and then your dating life, the vulnerability and kind of the the security of vulnerability. Or do you feel like you cross those over quite well? Do you just like show up unapologetically? He's <laughs> fucking Rebecca, like date one. I mean, I mean yeah, kind me. of, absolutely. But <laughs> yeah, I, I actually see you doing that. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I, in a work setting and a personal setting, I'm not one to waste my time. Yeah. Right. So again, back to sitting down with the rep and knowing within the first two minutes, if it's something that's worth my time and effort, same exact thing. Right. So if I'm on a date, I sit down. First of all, it takes a lot for me to even end up on a dinner. You know, if there's talking pre- like prior to that leading up, if I feel like the vibe's not there or not matching my energy, then I simply won't go. But once I'm there sitting down, if I feel like they don't have a masculine energy, if I feel like they're not kind of controlling the conversation a little bit, yeah. then those are all notes I'm making to kind of know how I want to proceed. Yep. So I mean, I think, do I put my heart out there date one? No, but I just kind of take inventory. Mm -hmm. I make mental notes and I observe and I see how I want to proceed from there because truth be told with the amount that I work and the amount that I do just on a day-to-day basis, I don't want to, I don't have the time to put towards something that I don't see a future in, especially, you know, this day and age at 30, so... Do you fear that you work too much to be able to maintain any sort of like romanticism? No, because honestly, I feel like if something's meant to work out, it will. I feel like a lot of people put pressure on themselves to meet the one or this person or this perfect, you know, person in their life. But for me, I have always lived by this. If I put my head down, work extremely hard, do what I'm passionate about, the right person will gravitate anyway. Whether I meet them at a CVS or however that happens, you never know. If you but see Rebecca at a CVS, definitely No, guys, don't her. go up to me. <laughs> like, if you see me anywhere, do not approach me. I promise you it won't be fun. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think uh, just, again, the delusional optimism. And it's always worked out for me going into it, knowing, hey, if I go about my life and anybody that I find or that finds me is going to be an asset to a pre-existing situation, then I have nothing to worry about. And like I said, it's worked out thus far. But I think so many people base their entire happiness, their life, their future around this ambiguous person. They don't even know who they are, but they just know, oh, I'm going to meet my soulmate. But why not just put that energy into yourself and making you the best version of yourself and then that mirror image of you will show up when it's time, you know? Do you feel like your friends, your social friends, your girlfriends, do you feel like they go through periods of self-dating or are they more so kind of hopping from male to male? That very much depends. It's okay. it's 50-50 split. I think the ones that do take the time are very emotionally intelligent. And that's something that took me a long time to be able to do. Um, But I do think it's harming to go from relationship to relationship because one, you forget who you are without that person or without somebody. And two, you kind of feel like you have to have that as part of your identity. So I would say, yeah, it's a pretty even split for me. I used to be a serial dater. I was long-term relationship gal through and through. I was with uh, someone for six years, another person for, I think, four, three, um, a few of which wanted to get married. I wasn't ready and it didn't make sense at the time. I felt very much like a child. But um, yeah, I think taking time to be single and focus on myself and my business and personal development and growth put me in the headspace to be more prepared to meet that person when I do. Yeah. 
you know, if you want this person to have all these things, you want them to be wealthy, you want them to be in shape, you want them to have ambition, but you don't, how is that going to work? You know, why would they want to be with somebody who doesn't mirror what they have, if not better too? You know, it's like these girls who want to meet a super rich man, but what are you actually doing? You know, are you working? Do you have a job? Are you just sitting around waiting for someone to pop in because you're cute? You know, I think anyone of substance, in my opinion, is going to want to see some sort of reflection of themselves if they value themselves, which they should. So, Yeah, women are like really looking for these unicorns of, I want a man that's six feet tall and a six inch dick and a seven figure job and charismatic and a leader and, you know, my knight in shining armor. I can't be everywhere at once. (laughs) Relax, ladies. One of me. God. Yeah. Yet (laughs) they're bums. Yeah. They're bums Mm -hmm. in their life. And they just think that, like, providing this man with sex when he wants it or um, rubbing his back when he wants it or just simply being there for him like to do whatever in any capacity is enough well it's almost like do you remember people used to post the comments of guys watching the victoria's secret fashion show living on their mom's couch busted musty and they're like oh her nose is a little too big or like she looks a little chubby it's almost equivalent to that Mm -hmm. relax pack it up, get out, you know? So yeah, I think you have to at least somewhat be a reflection of what you're looking for. I'll see you with Secured Sessions.